Welcome to the St. James Sermon Podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Good morning, St. James. My name is Craig Thai. I'm the associate pastor, and it is my distinct pleasure to share God's word with you today. Please join me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this place and this Advent season. I ask that you open our hearts and ears to the depth of your holy word and its promises. Lord, comfort us in times of silence and waiting. May we always faithfully wait with joy and excitement as you direct all paths for your ultimate glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue our Songs of Christmas series today with Zachariah's song, one of the four songs that surrounds Christ's birth. And today is the third Sunday in Advent, and Advent means to come, and it's the period of waiting before Christ's birth. It's an introspective time where we can think and wait and prepare ourselves for Christmas. And I like to think of it as a period of joyful waiting. We are waiting not only for the opportunity to celebrate in our Savior's birth, but we patiently and joyfully await his second coming. And our periods of waiting can be filled with noise and distraction, or they can be filled with silence. And as we're going to see today, silence can be incredibly powerful. I grew up as an only child, so silence was something that I was accustomed to. However, I'm a huge extrovert, and the gift of me being silent isn't something that I'm particularly good at. And now we don't have very much silence at all. We have five kids in the house and my beautiful wife and a large number of pets. It is rarely quiet. However, I've struggled with silence as well. Too much of it can drive me crazy and too little of it can drive me equally crazy. I feel kind of like Goldilocks looking for that perfect piece of porridge, that perfect bowl, not too hot, not too cold, but with noise and silence, the happy middle. And silence can manifest itself in other ways too. Have you ever been in a large group of people and there's an uncomfortable silence? That felt like a lifetime and that was only 10 seconds. That silence can cause discomfort, uneasiness, and even anxiety. And as I preach today, I want you to keep this idea of the challenges of silence in the back of your mind as we dive into the text. And I think a little bit of backstory is useful before we get into the meat of Zachariah's song, because it's important for us to know who Zachariah was before we can apply the lessons of this song to our life today. Zachariah was a priest during the time of Herod, and he was married to a woman named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was a descendant from Aaron, and she and Zechariah were considered righteous before God. The righteousness they had did not mean that they were sinless, but that they were faithful in their service of the Lord. However, they were never able to have children. Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well past the childbearing years. And in that time, the priestly divisions would take turns serving in the temple. And because there were so many priests, they would pick their service outside of the pilgrimage festivals by lot. And due to the number of these priests, each individual priest would only 
get to serve in the temple probably once in a lifetime. And that's where we begin our story, with Zechariah being picked by Lot to serve in the temple, to burn the incense during the daily sacrifice, his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity of service. And it's here inside the temple while he's serving and burning the incense that the angel Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, appears at the right side of the altar and Zachariah is filled with fear. And in Luke 1, 13 through 17, we hear what the words are that the angel Gabriel says to Zachariah. Do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah hears this, and how do you think he responds? Do you think it's with a, a, a joyful shout of, you've got it, Lord, I'm on board? No, his response is actually in verse 18. He says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And I actually find this comforting. These, these great figureheads of prophecy of our past, of our religious past, still struggled just as we do, even when they saw the angel of the Lord face to face. And so Gabriel responds to Zechariah and tells him that he is to believe because Gabriel is the angel of the Lord. He was sent by God. And because Zechariah wasn't fully faithful and trusting, he's punished by being mute. He will be unable to speak until the birth of his son. And because God is a good God and a keeper of his word, Elizabeth, the impossible happens and Elizabeth gets pregnant. And during this whole time, her whole pregnancy, Zachariah is without speech. And the thought of being mute isn't a comfortable one for me because the spiritual gift of my own silence isn't very high up on my personal blessings list. And if you've spent any time around me, you know that I have the gift of gab. Pastors love to speak and preach the word is what we're, we're called to do. And Zachariah was a priest, so part of his job would have been leading worship, carrying out responsibilities that would have required his speech and his words. And not only that, this would have been a visible sign to those around him that he was being punished, this must have been incredibly frustrating for him as one of God's chosen people. And I think that we can relate to this because I can, because there are moments in our lives where we feel silence, that our voices aren't being heard. And while we may not be physically mute like Zachariah, we may feel mute to those who are around us. In fact, over the, the last handful of years, and especially the last few weeks, in our personal life, we've experienced this silence in a very deep and personal way. We felt silenced, like we are yelling to the world as loud as we can, but our voice cannot be heard. Our cries are falling on deaf ears. And this can lead to a deep frustration if it is not met with deep faith. Have you felt this way? Have you felt silent, unable to have your voice heard, stuck in your own head with your own thoughts and just waiting? and waiting, and waiting, and waiting. 
2020 has been a year of waiting and uncertainty for most of us. COVID rules and restrictions constantly changing, an election that we waited on, results from the election that we waited on, waiting on a vaccine, more and more waiting. And I would think that we would all agree that our culture isn't one that is particularly good at waiting, especially not waiting in silence. With the internet and things like Amazon, we click to buy something and we're, we're annoyed that we have to wait two whole days for something to be dropped off on our porch when we want it right now. And I think also there are these moments when the logical path seems so clear to us. Just like Zachariah stating that Elizabeth is well past childbearing ages, that they are too old, it was totally illogical that she could even get pregnant. Or what about the times when we think that we have God's plan all figured out, or we are kind enough to God that we dictate to him what his plan should be? And then the Lord usually humbles us and takes us down his path. And sometimes when God responds no to our prayers, that too can feel like a period of silence. And I can't imagine how difficult it would have been for Zachariah to be silent. I would imagine there were many moments where he wanted to yell and scream, sometimes with joy, possibly sometimes with frustration. But I would imagine that when he spoke, he was probably very ready to speak. So we continue the biblical narrative and Elizabeth gives birth to a baby boy. And on the eighth day, that boy is circumcised, as was Jewish tradition. And they waited to name the boy until his circumcision, which is Jewish tradition. That's because circumcision is a sign of the covenant. And that signifies the boy's entry into the Jewish people. So at the circumcision ceremony would have been the same time when they would have announced what his name would have been. And traditionally, firstborn boys would have been named after their father. So those that are gathered that day, they ask Elizabeth, is his name going to be Zachariah? And she says, no, John. And they're confused. She's deviating from tradition, from practice. And so they go to Zachariah, who is still mute, and they make signs and gestures to him because he can't respond, asking him what the boy's name is. And on a tablet, he writes the word John. And everyone is filled with awe. And this is the person that we will will become known to us as John the Baptist. And so all of this history, all of this backstory, to lead us up to this great moment when Zechariah speaks his first words. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to go to Luke 1, 67 through 80, Zechariah's song. So Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, 
to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So after almost a year of silence, Zacharias speaks. And not only does he speak, but he rejoices. Think about how powerful this is, how it must have felt. Except they're not his words. They're directly from the Holy Spirit. God is working through Zechariah via the Spirit and proclaiming prophecy. And John Calvin highlights the importance of the Spirit's work here, that Zechariah wasn't speaking as a normal person, but what he was saying were heavenly instructions. And the important, this is important because the song is really prophecy, and it's a prophecy of good news, of salvation. And when heavenly prophecy and instruction is given, it's crucial that we listen. We need to be paying special attention because the message that he's about to proclaim is one of salvation and faith. This song about salvation, it begins by praising God because God is redeeming his people through the horn of salvation in the house of his servant, David. He sings about the ultimate salvation of keeping the covenant that God promised our forefather, Abraham. He's prophesizing about the fulfillment of God's promises, which manifest themselves in the person of Jesus. And we get a glimpse into the great news and the types of salvation that we're going to experience. It begins with a statement that the Savior will come to Israel and redeem them. And this redemption is going to be both personal and corporate. We experience the corporate side of redemption in the salvation from our enemies in the personal side of redemption, in the forgiving of our sins. This is a bold proclamation because only God can forgive us of our sins. And for Zechariah to be making this prophecy publicly is making a bold statement about the person that will be coming, the one that his son will be paving the way for, the Messiah. And it is good news because this is the Messiah that Israel has been waiting for. And Zechariah tells us that the reason that we are rescued from our sins is that we, it will allow us to better serve God. Our rescue is so we can serve God's glory. It is not actually about us, but about how we get to serve him. Our holiness and righteousness come from our service to God, which we are able to do without fear. And while this is a place to rejoice, it's also a reminder that we have responsibilities. We serve God without fear because when we lack fear, it indicates that we have trust in God, that we approach him with awe and love because he's provided with us the ultimate salvation that comes through Christ. We are to faithfully serve the Lord regardless of our circumstances. And we can't faithfully serve God if we're in a place of fear. Fear indicates a lack of trust, and we can't be in two places at once. We can either be in a place of fear, which is indicative of a lack of trust or faith, or we can be in a place of faith and trust, which means we'll be lacking fear. Zechariah's song ends with a charge to his son John the Baptist and his duties to the world. He will pave the way for the Lord to give these people the knowledge of salvation, to shine on them in darkness, and to guide their feet on the path of peace. Our path of peace is one of faith. It was a path paved by John, but fulfilled by Christ. He came to bring us the ultimate peace, one that defies all human logic. Peace brought through a baby 
born in a manger in Bethlehem, who would ultimately be crucified on a Roman cross and then rise again. And though Zechariah was being punished for his lack of faith, God was using it to drive home a bigger and more important message. It was ultimately about waiting in faith, preparing Zechariah for Christmas, for the birth of Jesus, having trust in God and who God said he was. And this is a message for us, that we must learn to wait in silence because God is always at work and we can trust the work that he is doing. It's a song not just about salvation, but about faithfully waiting in silence. And I think back on that period of silence for Zechariah, I would imagine there were moments when he was wondering when it was going to end. Is God going to keep his promise? He's alone with his thoughts, and there's no easy way for him to articulate them to the world at large. This period of time had the potential to be so transformative and introspective. And my hope for all of us is that we can use the Advent season and Zechariah's story and song as an example of how to faithfully wait during periods of silence. This is the how-to and the important lesson for us. Waiting, silently waiting, placing our full trust in God, knowing that he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do should bring us immense comfort. It should be a sign of our faith. There are moments when we can feel that God is silent with us, or we may feel silent when we pray to God, wondering if he hears our prayers. I know I've had these moments. Sometimes it's hard to find meaning and logic or or the, the understanding of why is this happening. But here's the good news. When we place our faith and trust in God, we can rest assured that God will work through the silence and the waiting because he is always working. Our job is to remain faithful, to know that despite the periods of waiting, that God is working his plan. His plan is the greatest plan because it serves his glory and ultimately leads to our salvation, our freedom from sin, and our ultimate redemption. And I have to believe that Zechariah really internalized this once his mouth was open and he was singing. He was obviously a faithful servant. Both he and Elizabeth were deemed righteous. But he got to experience firsthand how God was always at work, how he kept his promises, how he said he will do what he said he will do. And we may not experience the results of waiting with the same intensity that Zechariah did. We may not experience them at all this side of heaven. But I don't think seeing the results is as important as knowing that we aren't alone. And this is what is so important and beautiful about scripture. These stories serve as a connection between the past, the present, and the future, reminding us that while our experiences may be different, God is always the the same. He is unchanging. He is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. And Advent is the time when we can apply this as we faithfully await for Christmas. We wait with joyful anticipation, the celebration of Christ's birth, because it is a reminder that God is good, that he kept his promise, and that he's delivered us a savior. He is who he says he is, and he will return Christ to us again. Let us not forget that our waiting and our patience always serves God's purposes, even if we don't see the immediate outcomes during our lives. 
So how do we manage these moments of silence, the waiting in our lives? How do we patiently wait for a plan that we, we don't really know how it will quite manifest itself, especially when things could potentially feel hopeless? How do we respond to the challenges that face us daily, like COVID, financial troubles, employment challenges, family struggles? That list can go on and on. And the answer is through faith and trust in God. We are never alone. God is always with us. God has cared for us in the most supreme way through the sending of his son for the freedom of our sins. This is our ultimate salvation. And if that was not enough, we're promised that Christ will return again, not to free us from sin, for he's already done that, but to bring those of us who are waiting for him to ultimate salvation into the new heaven and the new earth. It is he who is guiding our feet on the, uh, the path of peace, despite our periods of waiting. And my hope and prayer is that when we encounter the moments of silence and waiting, we will use these stories and this season of Advent as a reminder that we should always respond with faith and trust. We can turn to God in our silence and waiting because we can rest assured that it is always for his glory and serves his plan. And this allows us to be less focused on what we think the outcome should be. And we're able to be more present and to trust in God so that we can serve his plan without fear. And when we are silent and waiting, we are not alone. We are supported by our good God, a God that loves us so much that he sent us Jesus, the horn of salvation, to free us from our sins, to free us from our enemies, and he's going to send him again. Please join me in prayer. Almighty God, thank you for this time, this season, and this place. In Advent, we are waiting, waiting to celebrate the birth of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. We wait with anticipation and excitement to share in the joy of Christ's birth. Through Christ, you have given us the greatest gift possible. You have rescued us from our sin and have provided us the horn of salvation. To you, we are forever grateful. And we prayerfully await his second coming. In Jesus' name, amen. St. James is a Presbyterian church located in Littleton, Colorado. Find us on the web at www.sjprez.org or email us at contact at sjprez.org.